We're turning your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 1. We're continuing, of course, our study of the history of the nation of Israel. We started with 1 Samuel. We're going through 2 Samuel. We're really now looking at the nation of Israel through the eyes of David. Uh, it's a sad time. What we've been doing is we've seen the nation of Israel and the Philistines came together and attacked and Saul was the king and his son Jonathan and others and they, the nation of Israel lost and the Philistines took over and ran them out of their cities. David had been living down in the southern part of Israel so he wasn't even involved in, in the fight or the battle at all. And it's a sad time because there's death and defeat and there's going to soon be conflict. And we're going to see what David does. He finds out that Jonathan is dead. That's his best friend, who was the son of Saul, who was the king. And David writes a lament. He writes a song. And we're going to look at the song. That's in the first part. That's in chapter 1. And then we'll get into chapter 2, where we'll see conflict. Because the nation of Israel, you'd think that David has been anointed already as the king of Israel, which we saw earlier. Saul has been rejected. Saul is now dead. You would think that David would immediately become the king. And that's not going to happen. There's going to be conflict. It's going to be civil war. And we'll find that it'll be over seven years, seven and a half years before David becomes the king over all of the nation of Israel. And we see this fighting and this conflict. And let me just remind you that sometimes when believers... Uh, especially local churches get into conflict or fighting or divisions. It hurts the testimony there as well. This morning, we're going to look at several key things. We're going to look at our words. We're going to talk about what comes out of our mouths and what kind of things ought to come out of our mouths. The second is we're going to see God's love. We'll talk about his unconditional love for us. Third, we're going to see conflict in our lives. What happens? We're seeing it in the Bible. And then last, but we're, last but not least, we're going to look at the trials and problems in our lives and think about what do we do and how do we handle those things. Well, I know of a church that just went through a split, and uh, the pastor uh, was fairly new, and he came there, and he started teaching things that were not only contrary to that church, but contrary to the Bible. And so the church as a whole had tried to live by the Bible, but the teaching was contrary, and the people began to recognize that what he was teaching basically didn't match their church or the Bible. And so conflict started, came to a head, the questions, they began to question, came to a head, they called actually a big meeting to discuss it all, and finally as a lot of times the pastor was asked to leave. And when he left, there was a split. In fact, some of the people said, well, we're going to go with the pastor because we like him. We, we're not really, the issue to us is not what's being taught. And, and so the, the whole thing kind of split. And of course, it was kind of a smaller town and there was a, 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 just, you know, the testimony in that town. Now, let me just say this. The, the church was right that when the pastor was teaching things that was not based on the scripture, that he needed not to be the pastor there. The problem is sometimes they become splits like that and that it becomes open and a lot of people know about it. And division always hurts. And whenever believers deal with one another and there's divisions and problems, there's always a loss of testimony. Well, this morning, we're going to see conflict within the nation of Israel. Civil war is going to break out due to David becoming the king after Saul's death. We think, well, wait a minute, David's supposed to be the king. After Saul's death, God had already said that David would be the next king. So what's the issue? Well, we're going to see what happens this morning. Why is there conflict? What goes on? And so we'll see it. Now, let me remind you, we just started Second uh, Samuel. Here's the outline of, of the whole book, chapters 1 through 10. We call it David in Triumph. Things go good for David, expect for the very first, but we, we see that. And then <clears throat> beginning in chapter 11 through the end of the book, 
We see David has troubles, and we'll talk more about that. We have this card that you can pick up that, that many of you picked it up when you came in that's out on the table out there. On one side, it basically gives you information about the book of Second Samuel, and on the other side, gives you the outline. So I hope that you get that. You can use it in your own personal study and see how things come together. So uh, that, that's a, it's a great study. Here's an outline of just of chapter two. I, chapter one, we're going to look at the, 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 the lament, the song that David did. And then in chapter two, we're only going to really go through about uh, about verse 17. We're going to get to the very first battle, so we're going to see what happens here. Uh, this morning, uh, we'll quickly complete chapter 1 and then go into chapter 2. Let me remind you again of what's happened. Saul and Jonathan and the rest of the sons, basically, of Saul went out to fight against the Philistines. Five kings of the Philistines came together. They defeated the Jewish people. Saul was out of fellowship. Saul was not a very good leader. The nation of Israel was not united. They lost the battle. They ran off. The Philistines took their cities. It's just been horrible. Everybody, a lot of people are dead. David, meanwhile, had been in the southern part of the town called Achish. He now realizes the battle, and he starts coming back to come back to his own people. He's been away from the nation of Israel for 16 months, so it's not been good there. David, a guy comes out of the battle and comes to David to tell him what happened in the battle. Now, in chapter 31, which was the last part of the book, when Saul, Saul was in the battle, got wounded, turned to his armor bearer and said, kill me because they're going to come kill me. Armor bearer wouldn't do it. So Saul killed himself and his armor bearer killed himself. Last week, we saw this man who was an Amalekite who said he just happened to be at the battle and that he actually killed Saul and took Saul's uh, crown and bracelet. And brought him to David. Now, what I think happened, and we talked about it last week, we think this man's lying. We think they got up there after the battle, Saul did, Saul, Saul picked up the crown, picked up the bracelet. He thought if he brought it to David, David would give him a reward. That's what I think he thought. But David wasn't happy at all when he found out that Saul had been killed and that this guy killed Saul. That's what he thinks. Uh, David actually said, you touched the Lord's anointed, which was the king of Israel. So David had that man killed. And we talked about it last week, and we said, well, whether he killed Saul or not, we don't know. We don't think so. But he died because he lied about what he did. So here's where we are. David is all upset. He's found out that Saul is dead. He's found out that Jonathan, his very best friend, who was Saul's son, is dead. And so as we move into the chapter, that was ended in verse 16 when he killed that guy, then David writes a song. It's called a lament. There are psalms in the Bible. The psalms are actually songs. There's 150 psalms in the Bible. Seventy, Over 70 of them were written by David, and they're called songs of Israel. That's what they are. And some of them are called lament psalms. This happens to be a song that David wrote, and it's called a lament because it's sad, and he writes it about Jonathan and Saul and their death. And so let me, let me put this down for you. It's called a lament Saul. It's about Saul and Jonathan. Now, before, before we get into this, if you were writing about Saul and writing a song about Saul, and he had tried to kill you for two or three years, he had lied to you, he took away your wife, he's uh, lied to you and said, oh, I, I want you on my side, and then he tries to kill you, would you write a song that would be good about Saul? Most likely we would not. Most likely we'd say, look, huh, I'm going to write about Jonathan, but I'm not going to write about Saul. Well, let's see what David does when he writes the song. It's called a lament, and David is going to praise Jonathan, 
who is his best friend, or it should say best friend, not best friends. They were best friends. And, and David praises Saul, who is his enemy. He doesn't say anything bad. Look at verse 17. Then David chanted with this lament over Saul and Jonathan, his son. And he told them to teach the sons of Judah the song of the bow. That was the name of the song, the song of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. Now, we don't know what the book of Jasher is. We don't know where that is. However, it could be that the book of Jasher was another name for what we call Second Samuel. Because when they first wrote it, maybe they just called it Jasher, and then later on, as it became put together, the scripture, it would be known as First and Second Samuel. Now, if you're in the Hebrew Bible, these books, First and Second Samuel, are actually First and Second Kings, and then what we call First and Second Kings are actually Third and Fourth Kings. So the Hebrew Bible is labeled different even than even than our Bible. So he says, "Teach everybody this song." So let's see the song. And, and as I said, he, David praises Jonathan, their best friends. David praises Saul. So watch what he says. Verse 19, we'll go very quickly. Verse 19, he says, Your beauty, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How have the mighty fallen? The beauty is Saul and, and Jonathan, the two great warriors, the two great fighters. Look, he goes on to say, Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice. The daughters of the uncircumcised will rejoice. He says, don't tell it to the Philistines that they're all dead, because they'll all be happy about it. And then he says, on the mountains of Gilboa, let not the dew or rain be on you, nor the fields of the offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled. The shield of Saul was not anointed with oil. What are they talking about? See, in those days, you went to battle, and if, and if you stayed alive, of course, you fought, and you, there was blood and everything else and everything, and when you'd come back, you'd take your shield, and since it was filthy and no telling what was on it, you would take oil, and you'd rub your shield until it's shiny again and it's smooth, and then you'd get ready to go out for battle. He says Saul's shield is never going to be anointed with oil because he didn't come back. He didn't come back from the battle. It goes on to say in verse 22, For the blood of the slain, for the mighty, for the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. He says they were great warriors. They fought. They fought strong. Saul and Jonathan, verse 23, beloved and pleasant in their life, and in their death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. He said Saul and his son Jonathan were pleasant in their life. That's really a nice statement. <laughs> he says, they were not parted in death. They died together. They were, they were like eagles. They were like lions. They were great warriors. That's what he says. And then he says, O daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothes you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. He's saying, weep for Saul. Saul has tried to kill David for three or four years. He's hunted him down. He's done everything he could to kill David. He took David's wife away. He has lied. He has not been a good leader. He's the reason the nation of Israel fell. And David says something good about him. He says, oh, daughters, weep over Saul. We might think that David was glad that Saul was dead. We might think that David would go, man, I'm glad he's dead. Now he's out of my way. But that's not how David says it. David says, weep for Saul. And he praises. And then he says, oh, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan is slain on your high places. That's verse 25. And so there's praise for Jonathan and praise for Saul. 
And then the next verse, let me read it to you because some people take this verse out of the context. And he says, I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. He's so sad that Jonathan is dead. He said, you've been pleasant to me. Your love to me was more wonderful than the love of a woman. He's saying, I, I had a friendship with him that I've never had with another person. He was just amazing. Some people take this and they want to say that David was a homosexual. No, he was not. David is saying that Jonathan was my best friend and I had nobody like him in my life. He was an incredible friend. Everybody needs a friend like Jonathan in their lives. And then he says, oh, how the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war have perished. It's really sad. They've fallen. The lament is for Saul and Jonathan and the nation. Now I want to stop for a minute. I want you to realize this. David could have said so many negative things about Saul. He could have said Saul was no leader. Saul was no real warrior. Saul was not a person who kept the, who, who kept the truth. Saul was a bad man. He could have said all of those things, but he didn't. He built up Saul. He let the words that came out of his mouth not tear down people, but build up people. David said good things, not bad things. You know what Jesus said? He said, love your enemies and do good. The truth is this, we have to watch our words and let's say things that build up and not tear down. It is so easy with any person that you get close to to see their faults and you can talk about them. You can tear them down. You can gossip about them. You can say things that are bad, but we should not do that. In fact, it's good that we get close to each other and realize we're all just people and we all, we're not perfect, but what we should do is build each other up. In fact, what does the Bible say? Let no unwholesome words come out of your mouth, but only such words good for the moment to, to edify, to build up, to build grace to those who hear. So what comes out of our mouths? Did we tear down others? Do we say things that are not positive? Or do we encourage one another? Do we build up one another? Do the words that come out of our mouth are those that encourage each other to grow, to, to, as we say in the scripture, as he says, to encourage one another to love and good works? So let's, let's not tear down. Let's tear up, build up, explode out, help each other realize how important they are to each other. Build each other up. Well, from here, we're going to see the division and the conflict. That's the end of the, of, the, of the song. And as we start chapter 2, I want you to see what happens. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Now, it came about afterwards, after the song, after the battle, after everything, that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to one of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. So David said, Where shall I go up? And he said to Hebron. Now, I want you to start off by noticing that David is staying in close contact with God. You know, David, we think, was out of fellowship for a while when he was living with the Philistines for 16 months. But then there was that time where there was a real problem, and it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. And from that point on, it looks like David is back in the fellowship with God and doing the things God wants him to do. And so here they are, they're at a stopping place. Philistines have won, Saul is dead, Jonathan is dead, David wrote the song, and now David says, what should I do? And so David inquires of the Lord. And let me stop for a minute and says, David inquired of the Lord. How did he do that? We've talked about this before, that, that, that he has a priest with him, and they had an ephod, which was a little vest that the priest wore, and in there there was these 
pockets, the best we can tell, and there was something in there called the Urim and the Thummim. That's all we know. We don't know anything about it, but somehow they could get direct revelation from God, and not just yes or no, because some people would say, well, wouldn't they just maybe throw one of those out, and it would come up, and they'd say, that's yes, and sometimes that's no, but no. He actually says, Lord, should I go up? And God says, yes, and he says, where should I go? And God says, to Hebron. So it's not yes or no answers. It's Bible answers. It's the word of God. So what is he supposed to do? He says, we're going to go to Hebron. And let me just show you where Hebron is on this map. Uh, David has been down in this region right in here. And he's been running in in Gedi and down at the part here. They're going to come up to the city called Hebron, which is in, uh, this is called Judea, but it's in the, the tribe, the tribe region of Judah. And that's where they're going to come with his people. And what's going to happen? Notice verse 2. So David went up there, and his two wives also. Wait a minute, what did it just say? David went up there, and his two wives also? Ahinam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Two wives, wait a minute. David was already married to a woman named Michael, and she was Saul's daughter, and Saul took her away. And then David, uh, it was about to go kill a man by the name of Nabal, and Nabal had a wife named Abigail, and she came out and kept David from doing something really bad. And then when Nabal died, David married her. So David was already married to Michael, and then he's married Abigail. But then there's this other woman who, we don't know who she is. It says David went up there as two wives of Hinnaman, the Jezreelite. She, that means she was from Jezreel, which is the northern part of Israel. Well, when did he meet her? When did he get her? I, we don't know. And so let's, let's raise a question. Is this right? We would say no, because when you look at the scripture, what does the Bible say? It goes back to Adam and Eve and says, a man should leave his father and mother, cleave to the wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He doesn't say two become one flesh and then find you another one and see if you can get that one and then find you another one and see if you can get that one. It, that doesn't work. And Jesus said basically the same thing, that you come together to become one. David right now has three wives. Would we say that's right or wrong? We'd say that's wrong. And, and if you look at the culture, <clears throat> now we have to be careful because when you look at the culture, in that day and time, a king, if you were a king or thinking you were going to be a king, you, you might have more than one wife. Did that make it right? No. There are a lot of things in our culture today that people do that we'd say it's accepted in the culture, but it's not right. So let me just say one thing. Sometimes you look in the scripture and God is such a great God or such a gracious God that even though David is doing some things that is wrong, God still blesses him and uses him. And you know, all of us, day in and day out, sometimes we do things wrong. Sometimes we mess up. And God in his grace takes us and uses us for his glory. So this is what we see. We'll talk more about it. Uh, this seems to be an area that is going to affect David in the long run having these wives and having these women. And we'll talk more about it as we get through it. So David went up from there with his two wives. He's actually got three because Michael's somewhere else. And then it says, and David brought up his men who were with him, each with his household, and they lived in the cities of Hebron. Hebron is, has, has the surrounding little areas around. And so he comes up with his people. Now he's got, if you remember, he's got 600 mighty men. 
and they are warriors. Let me tell you, if the fight breaks out, you want to be on David's side. I just want to say that, okay? Because he's got 600 men that'll fight you in a minute and win. And so that's what we see. So watch what happens. Then the men of Judah came, and they come up there, and the men of Judah, that's where they are, came out and anointed David king over the house of Judah. Well, this is what I call a public anointing of David. Now, you've got to remember something. David will be anointed three different times. There was the private anointing. You remember when Samuel went to Jesse and said, do you have any sons? And they brought the sons, and Samuel knew that one of those sons was going to be the next king. And all the boys went by, and, and he finally said, is this all your sons? Because none of them are the ones God told me is the right one. And, and Jesse said, well, I got one other boy, but he's out. He's the youngest, and he's out there with the sheep. He said, bring him in. It was David, and God anointed him. That was the private anointing. This is going to be a public anointing, but it's only over the tribe of Judah. And then later on, seven and a half years from now, there will be another public anointing, and he's going to be over the entire nation. Now, anointing in those days that you would take a person, and whether it was a prophet or a priest or a king, and you took oil and you poured it on their head, and that oil came down, it was symbolic of God's power coming upon that person. And so publicly, they're anointing David to be the king. But at this stage, it's over the house of Judah. That's the tribe of Judah. Now, I want to show you what David does. I'll go really quickly through this. <clears throat> you remember when Saul got killed? And they put the, the Philistines put his body up on the side of a wall of a city. And some men from Jabesh Gilead snuck out at night, got up, took the body, and took it back and buried it. David knows that, so David says something good about the men of Jabesh Gilead. Look what he says. Verse 5, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed to the Lord because you've shown kindness to Saul, your Lord, and you buried him. Now may the Lord show loving kindness and truth to you. And may I also show this goodness to you because you've done this. Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant for Saul your Lord is dead and also the house of Judah has anointed me king. So David says, you guys did such a great thing. You went and got the body of Saul and you buried it. Thank you for doing that. Now I need you to be on my side. I'm, I've now been anointed as king of Judah I want you to be on my side. That's what he's basically saying. Now, there's a word there. I want you to, to see something. In verse 6, he says, Now may the Lord's loving kindness. The word loving kindness is a Hebrew word that you've heard me talk about before. It's called hesed. Hesed, in the Greek, you have a guttural. I mean, Hebrew, you have a guttural. Hesed, hesed is how you actually say it. H-E-S-E-D. It means an unchanging love. It means a covenantal love. It means a loyal love. It's very similar to the Greek word in the New Testament, agape, which means an unchanging, loyal love. This word, loving kindness, means it never changes. One of the great truths that we must remember is that God loves us with an unchanging uh, love. This is not... There we go. We never, must never forget that God's, God's loving kindness to us... His love never changes. As a believer, if you are living for Jesus Christ in your own fire and you're serving, he loves you 100%. If you're a Christian and you're not living for Jesus and you're out of fellowship and you have sin in your life, he loves you 100%. If you're an unbeliever and you say, I don't even believe in God and I don't believe about Jesus, he loves you 100%. God's love never changes 
changes. He loves you completely forever. Old Testament is called loving kindness, and the New Testament is just called the agape love of God. And we never want to forget that God loves us with an unchanging love. Well, David wants to unite the nation, but he's got a problem. And let's see what the problem is. And by the way, let me throw this out. You would think that if God said to David, you're going to be the next king, and then Saul dies, you'd think that David would say, I'm the king. And everybody would go, yep, you're the king. But it doesn't work that way. And there's going to be all kinds of issues. And sometimes when we say, I want to live for you, Lord, and I want to do whatever you want me to do, and you say, well, then after that, everything's going to be smooth as silk, but it's not. And we got to realize that all things come into our lives shaping us, making us like Christ. James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith works patience, God is helping us to trust him. Sometimes he allows trials, problems, and issues into our lives to have us trust him even more. Well, look what we find. Verse 8. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, brought him over to Mahan. He made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, even over all of Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he became king over Israel, and he was the king for two years. The house of David, however, uh, the house of Judah, however, followed David. So there's this man. His name is Abner. He was Saul's commander. He was not killed in the battle. He wants power. He has a son. Uh, Saul had a one son named Ishbosheth who didn't get killed in the battle either. And so Abner says, Ishbosheth, you're taking over as king after Saul is dead. And we all know that David's supposed to be the next king. But, but Abner wants Ishbosheth to be the king. You know why? Because, see, Abner was Saul's general. David already has a general. His name is Joab. Saul, the, the Abner, Abner knows that if David becomes the king, he doesn't have a good position anymore. So he's doing this because he wants power. And so he says, Ishbosheth will now be the king. Now I'm going to tell you that Ishbosheth is no king. Ishbosheth is no leader. In fact, the only power in the north, so you might call it there, is Abner himself. And so now the northern parts are being called Israel and the southern part is being called Judah. And there's going to be divisions. There's going to be problems. There's going to be a war. We're going to have conflict and division. Look at verse 11. That time, the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Do you understand that there was a battle for two years just over who'd be the king, and then it took another five and a half years before David became the king of Israel over the whole land. Nothing is ever as smooth as we wish it was, and that's because God wants us to trust him. Now, let's talk about it. Verse 11, uh, verse 12 says, Now Abner the son of Ner went out from Mahan to Gibeon with the servants of Ishbosheth, the sons of Saul. Abner is a strong man. He's a good man. He's a loyal man. He is very powerful. You want to be on the side of Abner, okay? Because he's a pretty tough guy. And it says they come to Gibeon. And let me put this, if it'll work. They came to Gibeon. And here, here it is right here, Gibeon. And they come down this way. David has been down here in Hebron. And, and so David's men are down here. And Saul's men basically now under Ishbosheth have come to Gibeon with Abner. 
Now look who we find here. Uh, verse 13, and Joab, the son of Zerurah, the servants of David, went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down on one side of the pool and the other on the other side. Well, now we got this man named Joab. And you may remember that Joab is David's commander. He's strong and powerful. Well, who is Joab? David had a sister named Zeruiah. She had three sons, Joab, Abishai, Ashiel. Joab is the leader for David. So David's nephew is actually his commander. There's another man named Abishai. If you remember the time that David snuck into the camp of Saul when Saul was asleep at night, it was Abishai who went with him. And then the other brother, which is David's nephew, is Ashiel. And they have a legend that Ashiel was so fast, he outran a horse. So he's supposed to be very fast. We'll see more about him as time goes by and what happens to him. So Joab comes with his people, and Abner comes with his people, and they get at the pool. And the pool's pretty good size, so you've got all these soldiers, and they all get at the pool, and Abner's men are on this side, and Joab's men are on this side, and they look at each other and watch. Uh, and, and, and I put it up that the, the two armies are lined up at this long pool, and Look what happens. What does Abner do? Verse 14. Abner said to Joab, uh, let the young men arise and have a contest. And Joab said, well, let them arise. And they arose and went to, they counted out from Benjamin and from Ishbosheth, the sons of Saul, 12, and of the servants of David. So they got 12 of each. So they said, you get 12 men, we'll get 12 men, and we'll line up. They're not having a contest like uh, beanbag toss. No, no, no. They're fixing to have a contest like they're going to fight each other. So they line all 12 up. And look what happens. Each one of them seized his opponent by the head and thrust his sword into his opponent's side. So they fell down together, and that place was called Helkath Hasherim, which is Gibeah. They killed each other. By the way, in the Hebrew, it actually says they grabbed their beards. They grabbed each other by the side of the face and stabbed each other. So 24 men died right there. A waste of 24 young men. They kill each other. And so the battle starts because you know that they kill each other. Here the battle starts and look what it says. That day the battle was very severe and Abner and his men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. You know why? David has his mighty men. David has his mighty men. Let me show you this. Uh, we'll get it at the end of the chapter. We won't see it this morning. But that these 12 fight against each other. They kill each other. And David has a victory because he has a 600 mighty men. And look at this. At the very end, David lost 19 men and Ashiel got killed as well. David lost 20 men. Abner's men, they lost 360. They lost a lot of men. And the battle starts. And the civil war starts. And it's going to take at least two years before that part is over with. And so we see the beginning of more sadness and sorrow and death and war and division. We'll see what happens. Let me give you some applications very quickly. Let's, first of all, let's watch our words. Let's be very careful what we say. We want to say things that build up, not tear down. It is easy to, to say something negative about somebody. We can easily find something negative about anybody. But what we should be doing is finding the positive and saying the things that build up and build up and encourage one another. So that's what we should do. 
Let no unwholesome word proceed from our mouths. The second, let's rest in the unconditional love of our God and Savior. It's salvation. He so loved us. He sent his son to die for us in the Christian life. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He's always there. His love never changes. Just realize that when you mess up, your friend may not like you, but God's love will never change. Let's realize, and we're going to talk about this one for just a second. Let's realize the consequences of conflict. I mean, they're fighting among ourselves. Uh, what, what happens when believers, uh, you know, even, even, when, even when that church was right to make a change, it still resulted in a division. And people in that community knows and says, yeah, those Christians can't get along. It's hard because they did the right thing. The Bible says our goal is to build up one another, equip one another, serve one another, build up one another to maturity and unity. So how do we deal with conflicts? Are you ready for this? Here we go. First Peter 4, 8 says, let love cover. When somebody hurts you, when somebody does you wrong, if possible, let love cover over it. Just let it go, let love cover, and just say, you know, they probably didn't mean to, and even if they did, that's just the way it is. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to go on with my life. Sometimes, Matthew 18 says, if somebody sins against us and we can't let it go, go to that person one-on-one and tell them what happened. And the Bible tells us, you know, in Matthew 18, it basically says, if they don't listen to you, go back and get somebody else, those kind of things. The third thing, if you realize that you've hurt somebody else, if you recognize and remember, I hurt that person, you go to that person and you say, I'm sorry I hurt you, I was wrong. That's how we stop the conflicts. That's how we deal with it. The last one is expect trials and problems. We live in a fallen world, and even in God's plan, he allows some issues to come in so that we'll have to trust him so we can grow to be more like him.